What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is Deep Dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. everybody welcome to another episode of deep Dish conversations i'm your host and creator jerome moore and you all know all of our guests are amazing and so we have another amazing guest we have terry hughes with us and a shout out to the venture science center and the studio bank for sponsoring this episode wonderful yeah wonderful thank you all for making this possible and then thank you terry for being here how's it going going great i'm glad to be here i've been excited to meet you yeah no no i've been excited to meet you actually i've been excited to eat pizza uh, she is never about me see y'all see y'all it's about the pizza and so let's like it's lunchtime so let's go like go okay. ahead and you know all right um okay you go first all right thank you and so terry um got the cauliflower crust this is a first i know so y'all. it's okay it's all right i you mean know? you know we'll see We'll see how it is. I bet it's good. No, no. It, it looks good. It smells good. It won't hurt you. No, I no. And I, I like, you know, I've had cauliflower crust before when I was, you know, working out and trying to diet some a little. <laughs> <laughs> My trainer was like, if you're going to eat pizza, at least do cauliflower crust. I said, oh, they make that? <laughs> That's a thing? That's a thing? And um, I'm going to try this out. And you can eat and talk, talk and eat, talk, okay. eat and listen. I'll try not um, to talk with my mouth full. That's that's all right. That I don't know if we can edit that out, but you know. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It tastes good. All right, yeah. And you got another box to take with you. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, um I'm good. Thank you. And so we have our intern Caden, and he's it's part of his assignment. He has to submit a question or two or three to me okay. to ask the guests. And so I'm going to start off with that. Usually wait until the middle, but I'm going to start off because I really think it's a, a good, powerful question to start off with. And so the question Caden, our fabulous intern from Belmont, has given me today, um, he wanted me to ask you, what are some things you would tell someone who's interested in starting a nonprofit that they might not want to hear? Oh, one of my, that's a great question, Kaden. Um, yeah, so my first answer to somebody who comes in and says they want to start a nonprofit is, um, have you looked around to see if there is a nonprofit that does what you want to do? Okay. So really do your homework and make sure that you're fi filling a niche that is needed. Okay. Because, um, and if you have an idea for something different, think about, integrating it in as a program into an existing nonprofit. Mm. Um, so I think we have a lot of nonprofits, and um, do we need another nonprofit? <laughs> <laughs> so I think really doing your research, doing a market analysis, figuring out what you offer mm -hmm. um, or what who you would be serving that isn't already being served. Okay. And if you don't find, if you don't find 
that it's another nonprofit is needed, how can you serve that uh, that need or that passion that you right. have, that that feeling of wanting to, um, um, you know, provide for others um, with an existing nonprofit? Right. Now. And sometimes people don't want to hear that. Right. You're crushing some people's dreams, it sounds like. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, because we know there's people that say, hey, well, yeah, they do this, but mine is different this way. When mm-hmm. it's really, it's on, on paper, it's, it's not different, but in their mind, it's different, right? And so how do you navigate those questions? So, and those yeah, people yeah. who are really, they really feel like what they might be doing something similar, but it's, it's, it's different. How do you navigate those conversations? Or That's right. And, and then at the end of the day, it's, and not starting a new nonprofit is the same as starting a, a new business. Right. A small. It's a. It's, it's, just a, it's, a, a, it's a different business model. <laughs> right. right. And so you wouldn't go. You wouldn't start a business without doing your homework. Right. Or and without you know coming up with a business plan. Mm-hmm. Who, what's my competition? Right. Right. So and we don't like to think in terms of competition in the right. nonprofit sector. That's sort of. Mm. Right. Right. But um, <laughs> but it but it is the same. And then and then who are going to be your investors? Right. So sometimes people come to me and say, I want to start a nonprofit, and I've got this great idea, and this and that. And I say, okay. And and where are you going to get your funding? Mm. Well, it's a nonprofit. So. No. <laughs> Even more, you're not selling anything, so you, you gotta have the money funding. has to come from somewhere. You need more right? starting capital, yeah. if anything. Yeah. So it's 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 really just being a putting on your business mind. Right. Keep your passion. I mean, I'm all right. about the passion. Right. But um, you, you just like you would be starting a for profit business. Right. Right. Is there a need, and what is your niche? Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, good good question, Caden. And if you answer those questions, mm-hmm. by all means, go yeah. ahead and get go right. ahead and you know do it. So, well, I was going to ask you another question, but I want to ask you this: Have you have you gave somebody that information and kind of advised them like maybe ah uh, it's already something and they like kind of did it anyway, was successful, or did it anyway and wasn't successful? Have you had both of those stories? Sure. sure. Okay. Sure. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I mean, and, and people don't always come and ask me, you know, like right, but. But I think there's um, just like in any business, right. some of them make it, some of them don't. Right. And the more um, you've done your market research mm-hmm. and gotten your um, in, uh, you know your investors, your family and friends on board. Right. Those are the first investors right. in any business, right? Um, and then see where it goes. Let's talk about your background and your passion for nonprofit and kind of sure. where that started. Um, that led you in the role that you're in now with the uh, yeah. Center for Nonprofit Management? Well, I um, I grew up here in Nashville and went to Hillsborough High School. <laughs> a native. I always love when the natives get together and we're here and we can talk about the good old times. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I think I got you beat there. Yeah, but. <laughs> you, got me, you got me beat there. But um, grew up in Nashville, and my, my dad is uh, in the ministry. Okay. And so we grew up... Um, with a service mentality, okay. um, mission work, um, that kind of thing. So the idea of what most nonprofits do isn't wasn't new to me. Right. But um, I was exposed. I, I many years ago, I was loaned to the United Way, and I was a loaned executive to the United Way campaign. I was an executive at 23. <laughs> that, but that's what we were called. The company that I worked for, which was a big company here in Nashville, Ingram. Okay. Um, uh, loaned me to the United Way campaign, and um, it was at a transition point there for me uh, at, at Ingram, and um, giving me a little time to either look for a job or for them to find a different job mm-hmm. for me. 
and I learned about this whole side of Nashville that I didn't know about, which is nonprofit agencies. I just right. hadn't really known that's how a lot of the work got done. Right. And so as part of our work, we made site visits to lots of different agencies because what what the the group of the loaned executives went into the workplace, into the corporate um, um, offices, and helped them um, implement their workplace giving campaigns for the United Way. They don't do it that way anymore, but that but that was really my first exposure to nonprofits. And since I was supposed to be looking for a job anyway, mm-hmm. I started networking um, with nonprofits and thought, well, okay. Um, Maybe I'll find a job there. Right. Well, anyway, Ingram. Long story short, Ingram found me a job in back there, and I took that. But then one of the feelers that I had put out um, called me, and I ended up going to Vanderbilt, which is a nonprofit. It's a very big one. Right. And um, I became the alumni relations director at the law school, and then stayed at Vanderbilt in various capacities over a number of years, and then um, ventured out into the smaller nonprofit world, which is very different from a big university, and um, went into the arts, which Mm -hmm. is something that I love, um, and did fundraising for uh, the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, Tennessee Repertory Theater for a while. And then um, after some time there, I moved over to the library, Mm -hmm. and I ran the Nashville Public Library Foundation, where we were able to support nonprofits. um, Excuse me. We were able to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Got nonprofits on the brain, where we were able to support the library with private funds right. and really um, augment the programming that the library was able to do. Right. And so that took my uh, university background and my arts background mm-hmm. and put it all together in a place that's free to everybody. So right. it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, time. I was there for 12 years. And then I used the Center for Nonprofit Management Services in all of those jobs right. um, to develop myself professionally. I mm-hmm. took workshops, um, used their consulting services. I actually served on the board for a period of time. And so when the job of CEO became available, even though I loved the library, <laughs> I thought, well, I've been here 12 years right. and we just finished a big campaign. Right. And so I kind of put my hat in the ring right. and um, now I'm working to yeah, you're the CEO. The you're right. Yeah, and, I, and so I'm. I came up. My the bulk of my career has been in the industry, right. and um, I just feel so strongly that there are ways that we can work together as a sector even better. Right. right. And um, um, I've really had a good time. I've been now, there five years. And I think um, you may have been at the library then when I was working um, with the uh, adult literacy program. Uh, with Megan Godby yes. and like Liz and um, so yeah, My I was. Buddies. Uh, oh, what year was that? Um, I think that was around. Did Peace Corps came? It had to be like 2016, 15, 16. Yeah, it had to be like 2016. So I like worked. Uh, I left at the very end of 2016. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I knew you looked familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but no, that's yeah. uh, and I love the library. And that's huge, a great, that's huge. a great program. Yeah, that adult literacy, love, yeah, what they're doing is exactly. fabulous. And like new Americans and all, like it's. I love and, that and too. I didn't, and being being from Nashville, born and raised here, I didn't know how much the library offered until I, I worked there. It's amazing. Like, look, I didn't know this. Um, the uh, civil rights um, room was there until I worked there. 
I had no idea. And now and on the other side, they have like the women's the women's vote. Bro, yeah, and I just came across that randomly when I was uh, taking my son James in there. I was like, oh, they they did something with this side too. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like it's so many hidden like things at the library that. Right. That we just, I think, very maybe underutilized. And in the, a lot the of ways. team, the studio for teens, yeah, teens and of yeah, course the, the puppets. Room, Don't forget the puppets. The puppets. Oh yeah, yeah, I've been to a couple of puppet shows, and so I was there. I was at everything. Like, oh, what's going on? Like, I want to learn how to work one of those and stuff. So it was really cool meeting the people that made all that stuff work. Yeah. And uh, no, and it's and it's like this one of the like most community centered things. That you can have, right, is is a library. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's a nonprofit. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, question: um, Being that you know you're serving all types of nonprofits now, right? Yes. Um, how do you navigate when somebody comes in and say, "Hey, I'm a social justice nonprofit," or "I'm a nonprofit uh, around uh, food," or "I'm a technology"? Like, how how do you navigate? so many different types of nonprofits that exist? That's a really interesting question. And the way we do it is mm-hmm. there are, there's a certain foundation that to, to be well run, all mm-hmm. nonprofits need to have. They need to have a well-functioning board. Mm-hmm. Many of them need a really good volunteer program. Um, need to know how to fundraise and how, right. to, how, to, how to diversify their revenue streams. Right. They need um, uh, strategic planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're sort of the foundation and it really doesn't matter what your mission is. Mm-hmm. We can help be sure that you are you're you are strong and um, um, equipped to right. to pre- perform your mission, right? Oh. To, not to perform to 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 act impact. You know that your impact area. Right. So, one of the things that um, we love to do is encourage people to work together. Right. Um, and sometimes that's similar types of organizations like literacy. Right. Um, like. You know, the adult literacy um, uh, right now, not only at the library, but um, the adult literacy, uh, Nashville Adult, what is it, NALC, National Adult Literacy Council, mm-hmm. um, and several others are working together. Right. Um, they, they all do things, uh, they, they impact that space of adult liter- of the needs of adults, adult learners right. a little bit differently. So they're working together to be sure that um, they're not... Uh, working in silos and right. they're not duplicating right. their work right. it's, it's called collective impact right and um, that's which, one of the it's gonna be hard to do you gotta have the right is, leadership to to want to be able to do that you got that right <laughs> you got that right yeah um and so so what we try to do is just um, um empower the nonprofits to be uh, strong well-run organized mm-hmm. efficient um knowledgeable in right. how any nonprofit needs to be run, and then, um, and then sometimes um, there there are certain nonprofits that um, you know you 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 could um, bring together all the arts organizations right. and talk about some things that are um, specific to that to that that part of the sector. Speaking of diversity, yes, um, I have noticed. I think. Uh, a different intentionality around nonprofits trying to be diverse and around the whole diversity, equity, inclusion kind of mission, movement. Um, and some people, you know, um, say it and don't do it, or mm-hmm. everybody does it. Their intentionality around it is different. And, you know, um, 
how genuine it is, I think, sometimes can be questionable, mm-hmm. uh, especially in light of, like, the George Floyd situation. I think that's when I personally started recognizing a lot of businesses in general, just not nonprofits, trying to, like, understand and be more intentional about yes. diversifying their staff and their boards and, and what that looks like. Um have you seen diversity and inclusion there being inclusion and equity kind of transform in the nonprofit sector over the years? Um, and I know there's always more work that can be done, but always how, more how, work how to do be done. have you seen that? I think I think that's one of the, that that's an understatement. Always more work <laughs> to be done. And the more we learn, the more I learn mm-hmm. in my personal journey. Right. The more I realize I have to learn. Right. I don't know. It's it's a continue continuing. Um, journey. So we recognized the need for intentional work in this area um, probably 2017 and in 2018 started doing it, uh, intentional work with our staff. We right. thought we've got to start with us the first uh, before we before we're able to bring it out to the sector. So um, we found a curriculum um, and started we extended our weekly staff meetings every week by an hour for this it was a 12-week curriculum which brought us level set on um, definitions um, uh, it, it was it was in you know sadly um, there were a lot of things in that curriculum that uh, were new to many of us mm-hmm. even that we thought we knew but right. but we but we didn't right and um, and so that was really great and then we worked with um, an organization called Crossroads um, organizing it's a, it's a national group out of Chicago although the people that work there are all over right. they were remote before remote was cool <laughs> <laughs> and and we um, brought them in to do um, some full day courses on introduction to systemic racism okay and we had we actually did our first one at the library we had a hundred a hundred people wow. um, from across the nonprofit sector learning about systemic racism. And um, we did that four times that year, and and we then we added a um, two-and-a-half-day deeper mm-hmm. dive, not mm-hmm. deep dish, but deep mm-hmm. dive, <laughs> <laughs> um, and where teams came. And right. so we were able to um, have teams of four from 11 different nonprofits mm-hmm. um, to take the two-and-a-half-day um you know, they'd already taken the intro, so it was, right. it was a deeper dive, and really um, trying to set them up to be able to take their learning back to their organizations and begin intentional work on right. there. And we did that twice that year, and then we did it again the next year um, with that group. But we also began putting DEI principles into um, everything that we do, all of our workshops. We began right. to look, okay, who's teaching our workshops? Right. Who's doing our consulting? Right. Are we reflective of the community that we're serving? Right. We need to bring on some new new mm-hmm. faces that right. are black and brown and right. because we you know, we humbly were examining ourselves right. and realizing without in you know, certainly not the intentionality, but right. that we were a, pretty much a white institution. Right. And so that the um, organizations led by people of color um, may not be as comfortable coming to us. May right. not even know about us. Might not even might not even think they're welcomed. Exactly, 
and yeah. and so we really are working again, work in progress. Yeah, right. Um, to instill all of the principles that 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 we to instill the principles in our work. Right. And um, as I say, it's a work in progress. Right. But we are. Um, and then it's very important also for any nonprofit, and it's not just the staff, also the board. Right. And um, you asked me a, a, a question about, um, well, we can get to that, but about leadership mm -hmm. um, at, the, at the executive director CEO role. Right. And um, I, I feel like if, to make a, a change in those statistics right now, mm -hmm. I mean, in Nashville, I bet it's 90% of nonprofits are led by, are white-led. Right. And the communities being served are mostly, many in many cases, communities of color. Right. So that statistic needs to change. Right. And it's only going to change if the board of each of these organizations understands the importance of uh, not only diversity, right. but inclusion. Right leadership roles, right. C-suite roles, right? Um, and and then, of, of course, equity. So, right. um, when you talk about um, like systemic racism, that can be very uncomfortable for many people, especially even in a, in a training, especially if I think if it's a training that's, that's done right, people are gonna be uncomfortable, it's gonna be kinda tense because people have to take some accountability. Um, and reflect on their own implicit biases they may have right. and you know how they looked at things right which is okay right but you have to be willing to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and they say hey i i might have been thinking wrong here or you know just you know my implicit biases i didn't even know i was doing that right subconsciously right and i'm curious what did you learn about yourself during those trainings while you was participating in them about things that helped you grow mm. um, or some things that you just might have missed that you wasn't trying to intentionally do, but it was just like right. you was kind of just doing. Right, right. Well, since those introductory mm. courses, I've done a lot of reading and I've participated in uh, a, a, in even deeper dive um, experiences. I participated in a um, group of CEOs um, that we met monthly for like five hours um wow. really deep deep diving into right. this um, but i know you're familiar probably with the book white fragility mm -hmm. and i think that's what comes up a lot right. um in in these trainings right. is um i you know i didn't mean to that's not how i meant it i right. you know all and 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 um and so we have to deal with that we right. have to face it right right um and it is uncomfortable yeah and um, and then the other thing that I that I um, really try to read every couple of weeks is the there's um, a list 15 character 15 characteristics of white supremacy and mm -hmm. it's um, Tima Okum or I think that's how you or Tika O uh, anyway I always I, get I know you, I, we'll, we'll get it right I, yeah, I know you're yeah, talking yeah. about that <laughs> yeah but 15 uh, characteristics of white supremacy and it's things that I would never have thought of as you know like um, being perfectionistic right mm -hmm. um, a sense of urgency um, and and so it's really reframing the way I relate to the world right and that you don't have to be white to carry white supremacy mannerisms. Absolutely. And like I try to make like, and so I have to reflect on what I'm I personally. That I had to do that work too, 
right? Because I think a lot of us um, can just project and think there's only for white folks, right? No, we're all we all can be indoctrinated with white supremacy. Mm-hmm. It's an indoctrination. That's how I feel personally, mm-hmm. and we. That's why I say I always say we all affected by it. And if we look hard enough, um, you know, um, we may we might be carrying and doing harm to our own community, and not even know it. And so, just to give you an example for myself, something I had to check myself on, right? And this is just how deep it goes. Ah, and it's just, it, it just gives me this, when every time I think about this, I just, just say, ugh, to myself. But because of the environment, I'm, I'm, because of the environment that I grew in, and because of the propaganda of what I've seen of people and the images of, the, of those who grew up in my type of environment that are black, that look like me, especially men, right? Um, you know, when I see a black man, or when I've seen a black man in the past, I might get more defensive. I might feel like, oh, like I might see him as a as a threat just because I know we, we kind of we look like we might be from the same area. So let me be on my p's and q's, and that's just an indoctrination of just like white supremacy, self hate, right? That's what that's what that is. So I had to check myself on why do I feel this way because I see this other black man that looks similar to me or have characteristics that that threaten me. Mm-hmm. Right, and I had to do some deep work on that, and 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 really try to be more intentional and be like showing love and say hi, how you doing, and yeah. you know I hope you you know hope you having a good day. Just you know just being more welcoming and open, and not being defensive and on guard as if like I have to defend myself or ready to like for something to happen. So that's just something that I know I had to work on. Uh, that I, that's a characteristic of just like white supremacy. Right, we're taught to fear black men. Even black, like, so well, it's just, I mean, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, right. and it goes back and back and back and back. Exactly. And we talk about, um, um, you know, uh, uh, some of this is, is actually in our bodies. Right. The, the trauma is, is, has come through generations. Right. For um, n- black people, but right. also the, the same, that, that fear is indoctrinated right. through the generations. Yeah, for sure. And, and like... I don't want it there. <laughs> right. I don't want it there. Right. I don't want to feel that way. Right. You know, and, and um, yeah. We we have to do that work. And it's good to hear uh, that the Center for Nonprofit Management is, like, being intentional with that work. Now, were there, doing those trainings, were there any organizations or leaders that kind of, like, couldn't make it through or kind of push back on that? Because, like, again, it's, it can be very tense and like I think it's a healthy tense that it can be but sometimes but sometimes like people just don't know how to digest it so was there any pushback from some some of the leaders or organizations so the pushback that I have gotten um, has been from not from the trainings necessarily but right. um, that some of the things that I have said in my writings in mm-hmm. my emails to our um, um, they feel are political. Mm. I don't feel are political, but that I've had some comments, um, and, and I've actually had some conversations about it. I, 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 one um, person was um, kind enough to um, reach out that way, and and I said Let, let's let's talk, and right. he wanted to talk, and so we had a couple conversations, and just kind of looking at really from a different standpoint he right. was looking at it from a different standpoint than than i do, than i do but we did have a conversation right and um, um I, I, it's just interesting how what to me is so obviously 
not right mm -hmm. and needs to be fixed right. can be interpreted as um, by taking a stand about that right. as political. I, I don't I don't feel any politics about that. And and um, I've read articles about uh, DEI and some people rephrase it as DIE die mm -hmm. right because they feel <laughs> they mm. feel like um, and this author was a it was a white male uh, specifically in academia. And he felt like that the DEI mission um, was was affecting departments uh, in a negative way because the DEI mission and trying to implement that was bringing in recruitment of, of folks that wasn't really qualified and passing up white his white male students. Like so he was break so he was breaking it down in that way. Like because we're everybody's trying to push this. Like it's actually making our departments work because we're not getting actual people that's qualified. We're just getting them based off their race or their color, their ethnicity, and this is. But he, and he was like, you know, of course he left out like a lot of like historical, like discrimination and like all these things that led to an initiative that even need to be started. He left. He completely like ignored that. But like so, I like cause I, I have I like reason. I like reading and hearing the opposing side too. Yes. Um, because you know I might miss something, or I can at least say, oh, okay, I might get it from like maybe if I was in your shoes, I'm, well, I might feel that way too. Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting. Well, that was that was the pushback on affirmative action mm -hmm. for that exact right that exact rationale. Right. 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 And well, and, and, and but this is where equity comes in. <laughs> right. This is where equity comes in. Right. Right. Let's let's make sure that black students and white students have the same op same well, opportunities, the same right. education, not the same. Right. But that's why that's the difference between the e equal that, and equal. Exactly. And exactly. Like, that's why I tell people, ah, yeah. like long as it's equitable. I yeah. don't I don't know if we are ever be in a world where everything is equal. It's just but equitable is like where I would prefer and want us to be as a as a as a society. Right. So instead of yeah. saying my white students are not able to com uh, to compete, mm -hmm. they're you know right. better, smarter, or whatever. Right. Um. Let's 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 make sure everybody's right able to compete. <laughs> right. This makes you right. Let's, right. Let's, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, it's it's it it's th there's plenty to go around. There's pl there's plenty of jobs. Right. We hear it every day. <laughs> People can't fill jobs. Right. You know? Right. There's there's uh, so l let's think of it as a um, Abundance of 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 yeah abundance right. of abundance. talent yeah. and and let's make sure we develop that talent. Right. We're doing a um, partnership right now with the Urban League of Middle Tennessee, and it goes back to we were talking about um, leaders of color mm -hmm. of nonprofits. We are um, um, anyone who identifies as a leader of color um, can apply for the what we, we're calling it the Sam Howard Empowerment Fund, and okay. Sam Howard was a very prominent black businessman um, in Nashville who um, was involved with the Urban League. Um, okay. He passed away, I think, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now. And um, he was known for mentoring um, black businessmen, young black businessmen. And some mm -hmm. of the, men, the people that he mentored have like become, you know, right. built amazing companies right. and so on. Anyway, so it seemed apropos to name this program for Sam. But at any rate, we, um, they apply for the program and they are able to, um, we, we have scholarships to workshops and professional development at, at CNM. And there's um, small group coaching, mm -hmm. um, a, a cohort coaching where um, 
uh, they meet, I think, monthly, and, right. and it's just this group with a facilitator, and the uh, experience that they report of, mm -hmm. of this community of color. Right. They've developed a community, being able to share experience and right. not have to check words and not have to, you know, right. it has been really, really powerful. Yeah. But the idea of this program is to develop a pipeline of leaders of color to mm -hmm. get up into leadership um, levels in mm -hmm. uh, the nonprofits so that eventually that 90% statistic right. changes. Right. And it's, you know, we're increasing the number of nonprofits that are led. What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, creator and host of Deep Disc Conversations. And I know y'all enjoying this episode, but just real quickly, make sure y'all hit that subscribe button and hit that notification so you can be notified when we drop new episodes and interviews. All right. I appreciate all love and support. And let's get back to this episode. And so I'm going to read off these statistics. <clears throat> and these are gender parity in the nonprofit sector. Right. Only 21%. And this is more like navigate to our next kind of question. Only 21% of large nonprofit CEOs are women, just 7.5% of nonprofit executive staffs, and 14% of nonprofit boards are women of color. Women in nonprofits make 66% of the salaries of their male counterparts. 66%. 66%. Now, you're a woman. <laughs> I think so. Last time I checked. <laughs> you're a woman. And you've been able to navigate... Um, these stats in a way and be a CEO um, of a, you know, I would say a nice size nonprofit here in Nashville, right? Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the barriers that you faced, though, as mm. a woman moving up the ranks and, and trying to find your way? Um, unfortunately, I'm not a woman, so I can't speak to those barriers, but mm -hmm. I want to give space to you as a woman and our women uh, listeners <clears throat> and watchers you know, that they may be able to understand. Uh, you can let them know some of the things they may have to navigate, uh, and they may be able to be, relate to you as you are uh, kind of breaking this yeah. down to us. I was interested in those statistics, which I think are national. Right, right. Observationally <laughs> here locally, I see more women at the helm of nonprofit organizations, but not necessarily the big ones. If you look at the really big ones, most of those are led by men, mm -hmm. I will say. Um, yeah. So... I mean, we, we already talked about how long um, I've been around. Right. <laughs> and things have changed so much for women in the workplace from when I first started. Um, not, uh, I mean, just so much. Right. Um, and um, we've got a lot of women that came before, even before me, <laughs> <laughs> to thank for that. <laughs> I actually did a leadership insight yesterday with my team, and um, we do that once a week in our in our in our leadership meetings and um i highlighted shirley chisholm who was um first black congresswoman mm -hmm. um and she ran for president and i was like in middle school middle school i guess um when that when she was prominent and i was right. like yeah, love that <laughs> um so she she is one that came before and really really helped change the world for a lot of us right um you know, I, I, I don't know that my that I myself have really, I haven't thought about as a woman, yeah. could I have, would I be leading a bigger nonprofit or would I right. be leading a business if I was a man? I don't right. know. I don't know. Well, um, like even the, maybe the microaggressions that you may have like, encountered. Well, and so that's what has changed so much. Okay. Is, yes, the uh, some of the microaggression and the, um, 
you know, sexual right. harassment, okay. really, if you Advances, will. Harassment. It was yeah. okay. I mean, it was okay. It was tolerated. Mm. I mean, that's changed so much. Right. There's a lot more respect. And at least if and someone... And there's a lot more women speaking out, like, a, a, a brave and courage enough now to say mm-hmm. if that happens, like, they're not afraid to to go to HR that's or, right. you know, or just call it out, you know, right? Yes, yes. Which yes. is which is, you know, which is powerful, I think. But I do think going back to the um pay disparity. Mm-hmm. Um I think in a way women are still penalized for being the 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 main um family, you know, they take they do their jobs and they take care of their families. And right. so there's maternity leaves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes women will, after one or two kids, right. um, st- step out for a little bit, right. and then coming back in um, to the workplace, to the workforce, they haven't earned necessarily, and and they they're willing to come back in at a lower um, uh, salary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is still some. Um, I I think that is taken into consideration, and you might call it. I don't know if that's a microaggression. It's, it seems kind of macro to me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But um, like, it's, it's a, a bias. Yeah, it's, it's a bias. bias. Yeah. I would say it's a bias. Uh, and, it, and even on the HR side of things, and often women are H, the HR, I think employers just don't, don't see women, particularly with families, mm-hmm. quite as um, all in. Yeah. And it's funny. This is and this is this was my introduction that I received. <laughs> so I, I to to like pay and how that works, All right? Um, so I majored in economics at MTSU, and I took a labor economics course. Okay. And so we talking about everything: money, employment, monopolies, all type of stuff, right? And literally, I can't remember my my professor's name, but he literally broke down. Um, economic from an economic standpoint on why the premiums of salary, right? Whether white, black, male, female, and he broke down like statistically broke us down economically on why women got paid less in the economic world. With like kind of how it made sense, and it was because that factor that they factor employers and factor like oh they may get pregnant, they might have to miss time multiple pregnancies maybe and all that factor into this premium that that rationalized why women got paid lower yeah. than men and i was like why and so i'm I, it has nothing to do with what they do, do on the job, job. no it yeah. has nothing it is literally yeah. about the sex <laughs> about the possibility exactly of of, of because their 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 sex the possibility that they could have kids in these things so it's just that was they blew my mind like oh wow like i don't know like this was 2000 was it maybe 2011 2012 um but yeah so that was my introduction to like how it was broken down to me in an economic business fancy way that rationalized the pay disparities yeah yeah so i was like blown away by that and uh that there's actually like a formula that that is used nationally to uh dictate like premiums on based on people's sex color and all these other things yeah, so, so then take yeah. that a step further, add race into that. Yeah. So women, right. what about black women? Right. What about... Right, um, yeah, it just yeah. It gets lower right. and lower, right? Right, and, 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 that's, and that's true. I mean, I, I'm, I'm involved in this organization called The Table, mm-hmm. and it is 
Um, it's, of course, kind of like deep dish conversations, but it's around a table. Okay. And it's, it's really um, trying to change um, a lot of things um, and make the, um, the community more um, open to uh, using vi uh, vendors, people, mm -hmm. uh, vendors of color, right. um, uh, the, the workforce, all right. of that. And there was a presentation there recently, and it, and it showed nothing's changed since 2011, I'm afraid. It showed the, wow. the, the pay by race and mm -hmm. gender, and it's stark. And, and so that makes, yeah. and so when you see those, because when that you was, see that's the- That's not non-profits, right. that's just overall. overall. Yeah. But that's when you see that <laughs> from 2011, and you see on the surface, like all of these efforts being made to be you know, inclusionary, and create mm -hmm. equity mm -hmm. and diversity, but nothing like economically has changed for folks that are being like like harmed the most and like disenfranchised and disparities affected the most. That's just like, it's like yeah. so what is happening? Like we have all these people yeah. saying these things, but the numbers are showing something that like no 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 like yeah, it's more commercials, it's, it's more advertising around, it's more marketing, more yeah. PR, but I mean maybe the percentages crazy. were higher, but it was that's still wild. very stark differences. Yeah, right. That's just and that's what kind of blows my mind a lot of times yeah. when I see those things. Um, like when I think about um, like how politics has like affected like black and brown folks, right? Since 1968, when we have more representation, more um, politicians of color in these elected uh, official seats. But if you look at like socially and economically, like voting hasn't changed or giving us any more social economic power from 1968. So I'm like. It's the system. It's just like it's like it's a whole system catered to this. We're calling it systemic racism. racism. Yeah, that's yeah. like yeah. I'm like ah, oh. you just ah. Uh. But um, that'll take over the whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do want to navigate into um, we will stay kind of really stay on money. And when I was looking at like nonprofits nationally, looking at the data, I was seeing that there was racial disparities in the gap of funding that. Um, nonprofit that might be, you know, white led or non black led is getting way more funding or grants than one that might be led by black or brown folks or people of color. Um, how do we address that? What are ways, what, what, what is causing that? <laughs> yeah, so this is a huge topic. This is a huge topic. And fortunately, it is at least being talked about okay. in the philanthropy, on the funder side. Okay. Um, I don't know that it's, you know, some organizations have, are changing, but, um, yeah, so the fund, the funders traditionally, mm -hmm. I'm thinking like foundations, right. um, they have their, their, their rules, they have their, um, um, you know, uh, cycles of funding mm -hmm. and, you fill out certain forms that you might get invited to. You might get invited to. Uh, some of them are invitation only. Right. Some of them are, are not. Um, but first, you have to know about them. Right. And and foundations aren't really any different than any other kind of um, relationship where you're trying to fundraise. It's a relationship, right? right. So let's say um, uh, you. So it's it's really important to be able to form a relationship with that. Found those officers, those program mm -hmm. officers at the foundation, mm -hmm. um, if they 
if they allow allow that. Um, most of them do and have, but if they if you don't know each other, right. so 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 there's this you know, there's all these organizations that are doing, let's say doing great work, um, maybe at the grassroots level, maybe mm-hmm. they're smaller, led by people of color, um, who just don't know these they don't they don't go in the same circle so they right. don't know each other right and then and then the requirements often from the foundations of how you apply and then also um, reporting mm-hmm. are onerous and if you're mm-hmm. just getting started um, it's you may not right. you know be successful in that way and so there's a lot of talk in the philanthropic community or, or from the nonprofit community to, to the, the philanthropic, philanthropic community, but you have to be kind of careful right. because you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you either. <laughs> um, about changing and mm-hmm. making this, making it more accessible, right? More equitable, right? right? And um, um, we have a couple foundations locally that I think have um, set a great example. One is the Maddox uh, Fund, okay. and the other one is the Healing Trust. Okay. They've actually um, both. Um, done a big change in the way they fund and who they fund and pretty dramatic and so that means that some of the traditional folks that they had been funding aren't going to be getting funding Mm. and so there's also then you know that that hurts yeah yeah, that hurts yeah yeah that hurts (laughs) and so um i think there's a lot of room for for improvement and a lot of room for growth but i am um pleased to see that on, the, on a national level that this conversation is happening. There's a really good book. It's called Decolonizing Wealth. Okay. And it's by Edgar Villanova. And I can get you the, how you spell that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, and he is um, a Native American um, and worked for a large foundation in North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, and he tells uh, about that experience. Mm -hmm. But he um, has a lot of ideas of how the funding um, um, community writ large um, can address this issue because it's very hard for um, native, indigenous, black, brown-led organizations um, to navigate the system Right. That has been set up forever, right. um, and it's also, um, you know, he even goes as far to, as to say, the wealth that was amassed mm-hmm. that le- made these big foundations, you know, right. Carnegie, all, all of those, you know, the big ones, was on back the to, on the backs back of black and brown folks. Yep. Yeah. No, it's like it's like kind of that. That's a fact. Yep. <laughs> that's like this there, right? Yep. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a that's a. That's a deeper dive. Yeah, yeah, it's a deep dive. That's a deep, a deep dive. Dish. That's a deep dish dive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm glad it's being talked about. And you brought up like that circles, right? And I think that has a lot to do with that network because if if my if my blackness or just my color in general is is because of like I'm every everybody evolved from slavery, right? It's coming up from slavery. Well, we're probably not affluent financially. And so, and I'm probably in my own community bubble that's not putting me close proximity to those that exactly. are, yeah. you know, wealthy and things like that. We're probably not going to the same schools. It's like, you know, it's like this. So it's already made for us to miss each other. Mm-hmm. And you're going to miss me and I'm going to miss you. And then, I, and, and now, like, 
you up here and you're giving the money to people that you know and that you you know that that you see and have proximity to and i'm here and i i have to figure out how to climb that ladder and, yeah. and i don't have too many opportunities to fail because i might have to start off my own starting capital and that can be shaky and yeah and then i might get a grant or two here but it can be it, the the boat can flip over at any moment and mm-hmm. then i'm like ah, well and then if i don't have access to the knowledge to to yeah. how to navigate the access, right? right? Just access right. to knowledge right. is another thing too. Like, like, where are these grants? Who's giving them? Or these foundations? Who are they? How do I reach them? Like, just that knowledge would even help. I think. So, one of the things that we're doing that I'm pretty excited about right now in our community impact and equity initiatives area, um, led by my colleague Don Stone. I need to introduce you to Don. Okay. Um, but. Um, we are working with the mayor's office, the, the, the community safety office okay. that is doing the gun violence reduction program. And they um, have, are giving relatively small grants, but okay. grants to um, some grassroots organization working in uh, North Nashville. Okay. And those organizations, uh, we've contracted with the mayor's office to um, do some capacity building with okay. those organizations. So there's about, I think, 26 could have that number plus or minus, but 26 organizations. Mm-hmm. And we're doing um, same kind of work that we do with All nonprofits. I'll be right. But in, they're a cohort. Right. And um, we're doing once a week, um, you know, like how, how to fundraise right. and how, how to put together a proposal that uh, right. will be noticed by a funder. Right. And lots of, lots of different things. But it's really exciting because... Um, these groups are the ones that are going to be really mitigating right. what's happening in North Nashville. Right. And um, and we want them to survive and thrive. Right. And you need and resources. Exactly. They need <laughs> right. resources. And mm-hmm. so this is a resource. We're also, um, um, the, the contract um, allows us to um, help them with audits. Okay. Because that's required as part right. of part of the, the grant process. Okay. So we're... we're um, they know the work, so it's perfect example from of how you started. Right. They know the mission. They know what needs to be done, right. and we want them to stick, stay around. And right. so, how can we make sure that they've got you know the basic foundation, right. just like any nonprofit needs, right. and, and, and somebody they can they can reach out to and ask yeah. questions, right? Like, yeah, and so they so they those twenty six organizations as part of this program are now members of the Center for Nonprofit Management. They most of them weren't before. Some mm-hmm. of them were, but most of them weren't before. So you know, now we know each other, right? It's, and, right. And can help. Yeah. No, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. No, that's so awesome. it's pretty. It's a pretty exciting program. The pandemic had happened. It was. We're still in the pandemic, but it hit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh and, yeah. And that. here in Nashville, we got a double whammy. Right. We got we the. Sure did. We got the tornado in twenty twenty. The pandemic hit March. It's like really hit the United States hard during the same time. And you know, we, and we still in it, you know, with Omicron and Delta, and who knows what else is coming. Um, hopefully, nothing else, but well. not looking that way. How has how have you seen our nonprofits here kind of respond to the pandemic, and how has uh, the Center for, uh, for Nonprofit Management been, been like an aid and resource yeah. and, and pretty much crisis response? That's exactly what we called it, crisis <laughs> response. <laughs> So I was talking to somebody yesterday, and um, they asked a similar 
I asked a similar question and, and they started talking about March 17th and then blah, 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 what they did. And I'm like, well, for us, it was March 16th. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and here's what we did, you know. Right. We had never done it, anything virtual. We had mm -hmm. just signed up for a Zoom account because um, we had um, um, a partner in California wanted to have a Zoom call. And we're like, what's that? Right. And so we had just in the last maybe four or five months, mm -hmm. we knew what Zoom was. But, right. You know, <laughs> and so we, what we did, um, it was such an energizing time. Mm -hmm. It was scary, but also it was just like, okay, what, what are we, we got this. And our, all 800 of our nonprofits are like, they're depending on us. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like, suddenly we know why we're here. Right. So we had this like esprit de corps thing going on. It was great. Um, we divided into, we, we had a big brainstorming session, all these, you know, big post-it notes all over the wall and we divided into three task forces okay. and um and then we just you know we just went for it and so we suddenly did everything virtual right. we just we decided that we wanted to make everything we did for our members free okay because normally there's a fee for it's a discounted fee but for coming for to workshops member, yeah. and things like that like we don't want to be perceived as trying to make money you know in a pandemic exactly yeah. and so we um, canceled our um, event that we do every year it's called salute to excellence it's it's an awards program where mm -hmm. we give uh, we raise the money and then give away about a quarter of a million dollars in award money and it's a big event and it's so fun is, but is we're that like the, is that the one done at the omni or is yeah. That, yeah, yeah yeah so i've been i was i did one i was a, a guest with souls for souls Ha -ha. Yeah, yeah, with Buddy and, with uh, buddy. and Bernard Turner. And Bernard. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Yeah. T, mm. all right. Doc, Dr. Bernard Turner, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> he, he be getting on me about that, you know. He's awesome. He's one of our very most popular, <laughs> I won't say oldest, longest serving and most popular um, workshop mm -hmm. facilitators. He He's awesome. Anyway, um, we decided, well, we can't have a we, we, we can't have a celebration um, during a pandemic. Right. So we went to our funders and said, will you, um, what you would have g typically given for um, award money or event sponsor money, will you please give that mm -hmm. to us and let us offer free services? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, I, I was also committed to keeping my staff whole, right. Right? right? Not having to downsize, not having to downsize the salaries. Right. And so... Um, we did a great. Uh, we had a great response from funders. Um, not not everybody gave 100, percent but right. but it helped us keep us afloat so that we were able to provide um, to do the workshops virtually. But then we started a, a crisis response. We started some t what we called town halls. Okay. We and we did a survey, um, a needs assessment. Like, what are your pain points? Right. And then we began programming on the pain points. Okay. So we flipped. We just kind of threw everything else out right. and and just um, flipped to making everything we did responsive to the here and now. Right. So how do you fundraise in a, pand in right. a pandemic? How do you lead in a time of crisis? Right. All those kind of things. Were, were you all a hub for um, nonprofits to come and figure out how to possibly get the PPP loans or some of the SBA just funding as well? We had, um, um, yes. And then we okay. did we did a leadership, uh, not a leadership, what was it? What did we call it? A learning series, a learning series okay. um, on specific things. So PPP, that was a big topic. The idol. A big topic. Yeah. Um, and um, we helped 
match people with with expertise. Okay. Um, there, and um, yeah, so we we just tried to. Oh, and then we had what we called quick consulting, okay. which was um, I uh, uh, am, am being asked for a, budget, a contingency budget. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and so we, we had um, uh, consultants that were able to sit with somebody for an hour or two right. hours and, and go through a, a specific problem that they had. Right. And we were able to do that um, without charging so okay. it was great we helped 38 different agencies with that particular wow. service and so what's interesting is we served over 6,000 people in 2020 and really just from March to to you know in 10 months we served over 6,000 people when people came to our offices mm -hmm. a good year was 2,000 people wow yeah. Now, I'm not saying those were 6,000 different individuals. Some mm -hmm. people came to everything we did. Right, right. <laughs> but we, we flipped our programming. And so what, what, what was really fun for, for us and my, and my, sta my staff and, and I, our, our team was the uh, feeling that this is why we're here. Right. To help nonprofits navigate. Right. And now they need us more than ever. Right. And so it, it was it was. It was a um, creative and energizing time. Now, yeah. I will say it drug on, and that <laughs> resilience waned a little bit uh, um, over right, time. Right, But, um, yeah, yeah, 2020 no, like, was tough, like, and like no year we've ever had before. We all had our highs and lows, I'm sure, during this pandemic. Yeah, I think um, 2021 dragged on. It, it dragging on. Mm -hmm. It has, has – we had a um, – gathering this morning, um, again, virtual, um, for nonprofit CEOs. And we had about 40 CEOs that were on the Zoom call, and it was about um, imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, what was clear is we all have it. Right, we all have it. <laughs> and also, CEOs of nonprofits have been through a lot, mm -hmm. and they're weary, mm -hmm. um, and there's there's just a, a level of fatigue that is uh, was was palpable, and right. so I need to see what we can do to jump in it, even if it's just more conversation, so that right. they don't feel alone. Right. Um, or pizza, you know, they you know, I always usually pick pizza. up some morale. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so um, I want to end on this note, uh, Terry. What does we, we're still in the pandemic. Nashville is growing. A hundred people. People are still moving here. They sure um, are. It seems like I don't know when that's going to stop. Uh, maybe when there's no more housing, people will realize, like, <laughs> you can't yeah. physically live here. Um, what does um, our nonprofits here look like, and what does the Center of Nonprofit Management do to continue to support our nonprofits in a growing city? In a growing city. Um, here in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Well, so... You know, I, I, I think the, the, the it's great that Nashville's growing. Mm -hmm. Yay, the economy's great in Nashville. And the problems that have existed for a really long time are getting worse. Mm. Housing. Right. Child care is a huge crisis. Right. Um, uh, you know, transportation, uh, social determinants of health uh, right. disparities. Um, all of that is 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 exacerbated. Right. It's exacerbated by um, by the growth. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I I think people are realizing that, and I think as um, new corporate citizens are being um, 
lured to come to Nashville and are seeing what a great place it is. I think they're being asked, I'm hopeful that they're being asked to be good corporate citizens mm -hmm. and um, help solve some of these problems. Right. Um, we've got we've to fix the transportation and the housing. You know? Yeah, I think I think transportation is one of the things that's stopping Nashville from being like an all-world city is we have to, because we, we have these folks coming from Chicago, New York, L.A., and they have pretty good, you know, public transportation, reliable right. public transportation systems, whether it's subway or a tram or something. Mm -hmm. um, and we just don't have that. We've always been a driving city, and yeah. you know, but we haven't always been as populated. You know, yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure you can remember when you can get to one part of town another 10 to 15 minutes, and then have to worry about even ten, the time ten of day was. From anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> and you didn't have to worry about if it yeah. was three o'clock or one o'clock, right? That right. didn't it didn't matter. You could just navigate. Right. Um, yeah. So I think the growth. Yeah. I mean, bottom line in nonprofits, it's put more pressure on nonprofits. Okay. So. And that's more nonprofit. That means there's more pressure on the center for nonprofit as well, right? <laughs> to be able to accommodate. Yeah, and are we? And are you know? What? How do we need to pivot our mm -hmm. even further? Mm -hmm. Even further. What is one of the most creative things that you all were able to do, or that you all never did before, because of the pandemic and yeah. just because of how everything is going right yeah. now? I think um, a couple of things. Um, we, I, I said we did a needs assessment mm -hmm. survey um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. We did that three times during that year, mm -hmm. and then we have done it another couple of times since. So what we, you know, I talked about relationships. Right. Um, we need to be in relationship. Um, we started off as an organization, and this goes on to our whole conversation. We, we started off as an organization um, when, at a time when, there wasn't any other way to know about how to run a nonprofit, right. and it was and it was our experts were business people mm -hmm. who were helping nonprofits. Right. Well, since that time, nonprofits have become a profession. The internet got invented. Right. Uh, lots of things. So there's lots of ways that 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 you can um, that you can know about nonprofits. And so we, um, I, th I think, one of the things that. The value that I think we can even improve on more is being in relationship with our nonprofits mm -hmm. and listening to what they need and thinking about, you know, how can we help them, like these CEOs who are fatigued? Right. I don't have a workshop on CEO fatigue. Right. But maybe there's a way I can bring these CEOs together to, to talk. So right. I, I, I just feel like there's opportunity to be more creative mm -hmm. um, and to answer the needs but we have to listen. We have right. to be in relationship. I think right. a long time ago, we just knew what was best. <laughs> father knows best. <laughs> right. So, you know, we're not father anymore, right. but we're a partner. Mm -hmm. um, and we can be a convener. Right. We can, you know, Gotta what, what, what can nonprofits yeah. do to with all the growth that's happening? Right. And, and help right. present a, a unified voice. So. How can people tap into the resources that you all offer or reach out to you yeah. if they have more questions about yeah, yeah. You know, their nonprofit and if they really need to start one <laughs> and things right. like that? Well, we have um, a, a pretty robust website at uh, CNM, Center okay. for Nonprofit Management, cnm.org. And um, there's uh, resources. If you look on under every topic, there's resources, mm -hmm. and there's some resources on how to start a nonprofit, and that would be the place to 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 
check out first. Okay. Um, and um, there's a lot of resources there. Come to our workshops. Okay. Um, a lot of the things that we do are um, free. The town halls that we do, we st- we've kept those town halls. Okay. We don't do them every other week. We do them once a month. Okay. But those are free to everybody, whether you're a member or not. And this month, um, in honor of Black History Month, we are, all of our DEI workshops are free to members and $20 to non-members. Okay. We have in individual membership that um, you can join if you aren't affiliated with a nonprofit. Oh, okay. But if you are affiliated with a nonprofit um, that is a member, if you're a staff member or um, a board member, you're able to take advantage of what we do at any at the member. You're, you are, you're a member too, right, so you just, right. to, right. you just have to you just have to register under your nonprofit. Perfect. Yeah. Well, look, y'all go check out, and they, they have a job board too. They they oh, have crazy. Oh, yes. Yeah, they have like they always have jobs in there. That's so. right. We if if you're a nonprofit that needs somebody, or if you're a person who wants to work in the nonprofit sector, go right. to our job board. It is awesome. I always send people. That um, that are in that want to do nonprofit work or trying to find just find jobs, mm-hmm. I send them to the site. Right, like, it's one of the best. Mr. Job Ambassador, boards. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, this hey, it's one of the best job boards I've I've seen. Like, yeah. and I think that Nashville has. So people take advantage of that. Um, Terry, I want to thank you for oh, being here and my pleasure giving us your perspective, your gems, and everything that you're doing with the Center of Nonprofit Management to help build Nashville and make it a better, just and equitable place for, for all of us to be. And yes. you just you, you're you're native here, you so we it's, you know we, we gotta look out for each other. You know, exactly. unicorns, exactly. right? Exactly. Um, thank you all for watching and listening. Thank thank you all again to the uh, Nashville Adventure Science Center and the Studio Bank for sponsoring this episode. And uh, make sure y'all watch this episode and all the other great episodes that we have. See y'all soon. Awesome. Thank you. No, thank you.